Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen? And so are you! <laughs> Again, my beautiful screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets bent. This is episode 72, and tonight we're catching up on a whole bunch of scary movies that I saw during the hurricane. And too many to name here, so let's just move on. And plus, we're going to have a very special guest spot from Toppy Smelly host of the Smellcast, who's going to be talking about the Dark Shadows TV series. And it's going to be a real cool thing. And it's going to start right after this promo for a really cool thing. All right! These Lonely Places from author R.K. Combrink is a collection of short stories to make you dread the empty house across the street, to make you wonder what lurks in the woods behind the park, and question the smile of your kind elderly neighbor. Suburban horror at its best, these lonely places turns your neighborhood into a playground for all kinds of monsters and murderers. It makes your workplace into a haunted house where ghosts and demons watch your every move. The urban legends are true. That noise downstairs is something to worry about. That abandoned house is not empty. Available in print and for Kindle at Amazon.com. Search RK Combrink or these lonely places or go to Amazon.com slash author slash RK Combrink, K-O-M-B-R-I-N-C-K. Hey again, everyone. Uh, it's so nice to be doing this show again and not be in such extreme pain. As many of you know, I broke my ribs two weeks ago, two of them, just before Thanksgiving. So the last episode, I was, you know... I had to throw something up just to get something up. Unfortunately, I had something in the can with David Robiano, but... Right now, I'm feeling great. When I was putting the show together, I was not. Uh, so, I was on a lot of painkillers, and I wanted to get something out to you guys, and I was really stressing out about it. And fortunately, Toppy Smelly from the Smellcast, he answered the call. I mentioned on Facebook that I was really struggling and was really worried about the episode and how great it would be if someone would come on and guest host. And I was just thinking, you know, like I've had people on in the past and have an interview because those are really easy. I usually don't have to do much editing and I can just bleh, throw it up onto the internet and it's ready to go. But Toppy Smelly took it one step further. Toppy Smelly offered to record a whole segment on Dark Shadows himself so I wouldn't have to do a damn thing. And that was the sweetest thing. And Toppy Smelly, I cannot thank you enough for that. Also, listener Trey... From, te from Texas, he came forward too, and he's going to be on the next show, and we're going to be talking about, well, I'll tell you about that at the tail end of the show, okay, but Trey, you're awesome too. Um, okay, so what has been going on? Well, I broke my ribs. Yeah, but you know that already, and um, it happened, uh, as some of you know, I was doing um, a play in this festival called the Estrogenius Festival, a festival of women's, uh, women writers and women directors. And that's Estrogen plus Genius. Put them together and you get Estrogenius. And the show was called Life on Mars. And in the show, well, it was a bit of sci-fi fantasy because it was a short play, maybe 10, 20 minutes. And it's the final, it's the future. And it's a desolate future where apparently lesbians are being rounded up and put on space shuttles 
and blown off to Mars to live in a penal colony up there. Lesbians in a penal colony. Irony? I don't know. Because gays... Well, we only talk about lesbians in the show, but I'm assuming it's gays too. But we're just going to say that lesbianism is now against the law. And you can actually opt to have, if you are a lesbian, you can opt to have yourself genetically altered. To have that, because I guess they discovered the gene, you get the gene taken out, and you're fine. You're normal. You live like everybody else. You don't want to do that? Bam, you're an outlaw. You're going to Mars forever. And it's the last 10 minutes or so of this, the last lesbians on Earth. It's about the end now. Our heroine, the last, le- the last lesbian on Earth. It's her final minutes in this spaceport before she's blown off to Mars and the wacky stuff that happens. I was playing uh, the cop that's watching her, so I like to say I hunt lesbians from Mars. I'm the great lesbian hunter. Um, but we had a bit of stage combat towards the end when I'm trying to get her into the space shuttle. She's being hesitant and doesn't want to go. And we never actually blocked any of this in rehearsal, which was unfortunate. We never really said anything, so it got messy. And the thing was, she shackled the whole time. The prop that they found, somebody donated these shackles that he's telling me the whole story of them. They terrify me. He's like, yeah, these are vintage World War I shackles. And, you know, they're, these things were terrifying. They were really heavy, and they're just a solid bar, and they weighed a ton, and they were really scary looking. And so I'm fighting her with these shackles on. Anyway, I slipped, she slipped, somebody slipped. I fell into the set. She fell into me with the shackles, hit me right in the ribs, and that's what happens when you fight lesbians, especially lesbians from Mars. So I've been in a lot of pain. I've been in a lot of drugs. It's not so bad now. It's starting to be stiff more than hurt, which is good. So that's why I'm not on pills right now and can form semi-coherent sentences. Um, unfortunately, this put a dent to my workout schedule. I said I was going to be keeping tabs on you guys because I was getting on a regular schedule. Well, I was doing great. Granted, I had all this other stuff happen. And I was putting out half-ass shows, you know, hurricanes and things like that. But I had lost 20 pounds and, you know, was putting on nice muscle everywhere. But now that I broke my ribs, it, like, all came back like, bleh. It didn't help that I went to St. Louis with Brad's parents for a week. Because, my God, those people, all they eat is fast food and candy. So it was a week of that. But we had a great time while we were there. If you're in St. Louis, there's this really cool museum there called the City Museum. I can't even describe it. It's, it's like this amazing creative playground. You're encouraged to climb and crawl and explore. And... I mean, the term museum is learned, is used loosely. And if I looked at the website, and even they can't describe their own place. But, um, you know, like every museum, they have a 10-story slide. Yeah. And, of course, I'm like, what the heck? I'm going. I'm going. And it didn't even occur to me, Patrick, you have two broken ribs. Until I was about three levels down, and I said, okay, this probably wasn't a wise idea. Because it was this, it was this really tight spiral. So I'm spiraling, 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 hitting the wall, hitting the wall, hitting the wall. This is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. I've got seven more floors to go. Ah! But everything turned out okay. Uh, the video project I'm working on, I was working on, the uh, Is There Life After High School, came out really well. I just got the DVD of it. It looks really good, and I'm hoping to post some of it on YouTube shortly in the future once uh, my computer starts behaving more normally because no, everything's working except the damn disk drives. But do you care? No, you don't really care. Smoking. I'm not smoking cigarette cigarettes anymore. Thanks to listener um, Badger Angel, 
she sent me an e-cigarette from Roar.com, Roar.com, R-A-W-R.com. And um, I've been smoking this, and you're like, well, that's not really much of a change. And I say, yes, it is, goddammit, because this is only one chemical. This is just the nicotine. And it doesn't have all the 4,000 chemicals like arsenic and tar and whatever, cyanide and all the other crap that goes in a cigarette. And I feel better. Like, I've gone back and smoking, smoking, smoked a regular cigarette, and it made me sick. This, uh, it's nice, it tastes good. I can put it down and walk away from it. If I leave the house and forget it, I don't go crazy without it. So hopefully, I'm planning on being off of it completely by the end of the year. So thank you, Badger Angel, for that. I cannot thank you enough. And also, thank you, Badger, for listening to my rants. The text, because I, I ran into some personal trouble, and she was, a, she was a great mama for me. So I love you, Badger. And I love you, Badger, because I just made it sound like I love your Badger which sounds like it, your beaver, but it, I love your beaver, too. Yeah. So, before we start the show, I just wanted to mention something that happened. The other day. I was going to rehearsal. And I stopped at a McDonald's to pee. And it was a McDonald's off of Times Square. And as I've complained on here a lot, Times Square has become a complete zoo. I liked it better when it was filled with hookers because now it's filled with all these fucking costume characters. There's hundreds of them. People dressed in ghetto versions of, you know, Mickey Mouse and SpongeBob. Like, the costumes are just a little bit off. And the people inside of them are really scary. Now they'll walk around with their heads off and you're like, Ew! Put it back on! What's the matter with you? But anyway... I go to the bathroom at McDonald's, and it's a really small bathroom. It's one urinal and one pooper. And both were occupied, so I'm waiting there. And it's really tight in, in there as well, so I'm kind of on top of everybody. And the guy who's at the urinal is making a lot of noise. He's like, oh, oh, shit. Oh. And it was about this time I realized that this guy is dressed like the Tin Man. And I can only hope he's a costume character and not a stripper. Because that would be weird. But anyway, not the point. He's dressed as the Tin Man is at the urinal making all this noise. He's like, oh, fuck. And then he says, damn, this shit's better than an orgasm. Now, whoever was inside the pooper started tittering. He. He's like, no, and the Tin Man says, oh, no, you're laughing at me, but it's true, man. It's all, I don't know, it's built up, and it's this release, man. It's this release, and it's just like, ah. Oh. And it's, at this point, it's already the longest pee on record, because I'm hopping down on one leg. And the cat says, like, oh, you're so funny. He, 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 I, I heard that, that, um, Sam Freud said the same thing about going to the bathroom, that it's better pleasure than sex. And the guy's like, oh, man, it is, because, man, sometimes you just got to, you know, because bitches don't, I don't know what the hell he's talking about, because bitches, they don't understand, because, you know, like, like, you can get all pendulum sexually, and like, man, you got, no, wait, I'm sorry, I'm telling this wrong. Because that's what Dr. Fraud said about, you know, orgasms, and all that. The guy's like, yeah, man, this is like busting it on. And meanwhile, I'm standing there going, this is happening. This is happening. I'm watching the Tin Man urinate 
and while having this really bizarre conversation, which what sounds like Michael Jackson in the urinal and in, in the pooper. And now it gets really weird. Because <laughs> it's like, yeah, man, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know what I'm talking about. And the guy inside the urinal is like, I know I don't really, I, I've never actually had an orgasm. Say what? No, I'm a virgin. Oh my God, that's crazy, man. How old are you? Well, you're not going to believe me if I tell you. No, how old are you? I'm 38 years old. At this point, they're both finished doing whatever they're doing. Michael Jackson comes out of the the pooper. The urinal is stepped. The, the the ten men have stepped away from the urinal. I'm trying to pee. The conversation, however, is not over. They've we've now made ha- they've become best bathroom friends. Is what I'm trying to say. And he's like, Oh no, I'm still a virgin because I'm a Christian. What? That means you don't masturbate or nothing? That's crazy, because the guy's got a bust or nut. Because women, they don't understand. They don't understand, because my wife, she can go with like two weeks, and she's like, I don't know what you're all complaining about. You men all the time complaining about needing it so bad, because it's been two weeks, and I don't need nothing. And I'm like, two weeks, I'm going to explode. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. Man, you know, I wish I'd stayed a virgin longer. You just stay the way you're going because the bitches, they drive you crazy. If I had kept my virginity longer, I would be a hell of a lot happier and have a hell of a lot more money. Meanwhile, I'm standing going, shut up. I'm trying to pee. Please get out. But did they get out? No. It just went on and on and on and on and on and on. It was really surreal. And I was on painkillers at the time. So I had to keep convincing myself that no, I was not hallucinating this. This was really happening. But you know what? It was. It was really happening. Now, normally in an event like this, I would give both of these men the Scream Queen of the Week. But I'm not going to. Because this, there's a tie for Scream Queen of the Week. First of all, Toppy Smelly. For stepping up to the plate. When I really needed a friend and really needed help and going above and beyond what was called for in the line of duty. Duty! Ha ha ha! You are one of the Scream Queens of the Week. And and Miss Badger Angel, you are the other Scream Queen of the Week. You both know what you did and I will be forever grateful. But enough of my babbling. It is time to start the show. Now, I'm going to tell you, when I recorded this first part, I was on and off painkillers depending. When I started, I kind of was. I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna leave it whole, intact, the way it was, because I started the episode thinking I was just gonna review one movie, but it didn't turn out that way. But I didn't even know what episode I was doing. I said episode 71, but forget. Let's just sit back, relax, enjoy the insanity, enjoy Toppy Smelly, and I'll be back with voicemail at the end of the show. Bye, kitties. It has been 130 years since the strange events at L'Opera Garnier. 110 years since the voice of Divina Dae was silenced by death. Still, there are nights when it is wise, messieurs, to walk with your hand at the level of your eyes. For his arm is not weakened, and his aim is still true. See what revives them all. See why you cannot have companionship. 
See, Eric, remember. That was the mask I pitied, Eric. Never the one I could see, but the one over your heart. What will he do when he meets a woman for whom the mask and the legends hold no fear? Who will stand and face him, even at his worst? No classic beauty, no divine voice, but a power to be reckoned with in her own right. And what will happen when their life together, just beginning, is threatened? He will take the cost. She is mine, and no one will take her from me. No one! Of Serebin and Cherub, an alternative tale of the Phantom of the Opera by Sherry Compton Myers, coming in December 2012. For more details, updates, and sneak peeks, go to www.ofseraphimandcherubim.com. There is no music without you, Sarah. Hello again, my beautiful screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets bent. Well, at least a mini episode anyway. This is episode 71, and just because I mentioned on the last episode that during the hurricane, I watched so many freaking movies back to back to back to back to back, I do have lots to catch you up on, but if I do it on the regular episodes, it'll be 15 million times longer than the show normally is, and Lord knows some people have been complaining about my length. Now, I've never had that problem before, but all of a sudden people are getting all up and like, oh, it's so long. Why is it so long? I'm like, I can't help it, bitch. It was, I was born this way. Now shut up and take it. Take it all. Down to the balls. What? Did I say that? So anyway, the first movie I would like to talk about is a movie called Vile. That's V-I-L-E. Let's take a listen to the trailer, shall we? Of course we shall. Silly boy or girl or boy girl or girl boy. Shut up, Pat. Hello and welcome to my house. I apologize for the uncomfortable circumstances that have brought you all here. But I can assure you that if you work together, you will all be out of here in no time. You think we're going to make it out of here? Not all of us. I've given you all a new piece of jewelry on the back of your heads. This device is intended to do one thing only, which is to siphon off particular chemicals that your brains naturally produce. The chemicals that we need are only produced when the body tells the brain that it is in trouble. Pain will be your only way out of this house. There are nine of us, okay? And I'm thinking if we just, if we split it up, it might not even be that bad. I think we're gonna have to be a little rougher than that. I think the trailer pretty much explained everything you need to know going into this movie. It's a bunch of people in a house that have to torture themselves to get out. Now, granted, I know 
I knew going into this that this was going to be torture porn. I, I mean, it, 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 what else could it have been? But I was told by people that I trust that, no, this elevates torture porn to this whole new level. Not like in a gross way, but just like really mind-bending and, and psychological. And um, you have emotional attachments there. <laughs> is what I have to say. Uh, this is an ugly movie. No, of course it's ugly. It's torture porn. But this this is ugly in a different kind of way. It's just nihilistically ugly. Again, it just what what makes that different than regular torture porn? I, I'm going to try to explain. Um, I think what makes this really stupid is that uh, the way they torture each other is completely unnecessary. Yeah, they start breaking fingers and, you know, they teach, they start taking turns on, on, uh, sort of divvy up the amount they figure, I guess, I don't know, whatever it is, they have to each produce 18%. I don't know, I forget. I don't do math, remember? And uh, so they're breaking fingers and they're cutting and they're boiling their own hands, but they're always adding on to it. Like, okay, I broke my first finger. That wasn't enough. I'm going to break another finger. That wasn't enough. I'm going to break my nose. I'm going to do this. Or they're going to do it to each other or whatever. You know, they're torturing each other or themselves or whatever. But it kind of dawned on me midway through. I said, if you broke your finger or if you cut yourself, it's not like that pain goes away. If you went and like just poked at that, that's gonna fucking hurt. These people doing this escalating torture thing to get out of here just seems stupid. Do, do, do people not know basic biology? Maybe not, but I mean, you, I mean, I, I, anybody knows if you hurt something, if you hit it again, it's gonna hurt. If you keep hitting it, it's gonna hurt worse. So I it was dumb. The acting is good, uh, but there's nobody to, for the most part. But there's nobody to attach to here. They try to attach you to some one of the girls because she's pregnant, but that really goes nowhere and adds nothing. And they try to a couple of different angles, but they hand like they uh, somebody's got a stash of pills, you know, oxycontin, and it could be interesting, but it's just not. They they come up with ideas and don't really follow them through. However, the woman on that video that they're watching, because you know when they, that 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 British woman you heard in the trailer, she's on a video explaining the whole situation. She's fantastic. I loved her, but of course she's in the movie for thirty seconds. Uh, the other thing is, just the end of this is just ugly. It's just mean-spirited. Yeah, it's a torture porn movie. Of course, it's mean-spirited, but it's just unnecessarily mean. Now, the other reason I wanted to watch this particular piece of dreck, one of the people that were starring in this, uh, or at least had a cameo in it, was Mackenzie Westmore. And you're like, who the hell is that? Well, she is, first of all, she is a hot cougar lady, and she is the daughter of legendary special effects artist Michael Westmore, but... I know her because she is one of the hosts, no, she is the host of the best and most imaginative competition reality show on TV at this time, and that is, of course, the Sci-Fi Channel's Face Off. And if I'm saying that she's hot, she's hot. She's actually the bait that gets these poor kids trapped into it. We're, we're focused on these four main kids who are just out for a lovely picnic out in the woods, and on the way back, they run into a stranded woman, Mackenzie Westmore, who's like, oh, I'm out of gas, could you just drive me to my car, which is their first and last mistake. 
And that's pretty much it for her. But she's great while she's in it. She adds some class to it. And she plays a hoe really well. She's a creepy, creepy cougar. And I liked it. Uh, but that's pretty much all I liked about this movie. Uh, the title is, of course, a play on words because I don't, I, I don't know if actually they specified this in the trailer or not because I didn't want to listen to it again because it just brought back flashbacks. Why are they doing this, you ask? Well, these chemicals that they need that the brain are screening are being used for this new hot drug that's on the market. And, you know, they could synthesize it, but evidently it's just easier to do it this way to get it right from the source, which makes no sense whatsoever. I don't know how this is easier because you have to do this a hell of a lot. But anyway, I, I don't really care. It's, it doesn't matter. But the movie is spelled V-I-L-E, the movie title. But they're actually trying to fill vials, V-I-A-L. And I'm like, oh my goodness, synonym horror. How very, very clever. So if you really want to watch Vile, go ahead and do it. I think you're an asshole. <laughs> no, I don't. No, I don't because it's not... <laughs> If torture porn is your thing, you might like it. I don't judge you, except that you're an asshole. <laughs> but it ain't my thing. And if it's your thing, what you gonna do? So anyway, I'm gonna be putting out another episode in another couple of days. I don't know what I'm gonna talk about because I saw a lot of shit on Netflix Instant View. So until then, hey, I know what you can do to entertain yourself. Why don't you go out and vote? Head on over to www.podcastawards.com and vote for Scream Queens for the best GLBT podcast. Do it once a day, every day, from now until November 15th. And hey, you do me a bigger favor, try to bother your friends to do it too. Tell them how awesome it is. Tell them they might get a tiara. They don't know that they won't. They don't know that they won't. Don't tell them. Don't tell them. It'll be our little secret. So until next time, uh, continue to make the world a creepier place. Grandmama's on vacation right now. Oh, and if you want to contact me, by all means, do so at 347-767-3509 or at crew at screamqueens.com, which, by the way, the email might be changing soon because I've been overrun with spam. Oh, you can like me on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter, and you could just be awesome. And I've been talking for a real long time. And by the way, there's another storm happening. So this might be the last episode you ever hear from me. You wish. Bye! Ah! So, I don't know where we are in the whole Vicodin movie review thing. Have I, if I've uh, put any others out on this episode yet, or if I just have the ones where I'm lucid. But this is the first one I'm recording where I am high on pain medicine. So, I think it's really appropriate that I'm recording a review of the camp classic, What's the Matter with Helen, starring Debbie Reynolds and Shelley Winters. Let's take a listen to the trailer, shall we? Oh, yeah, let's do that. What's the matter with Helen? What's the matter with Helen? What's the matter with Helen? Helen. What's the matter with Helen? No, no, no. Close the front door. Rather unwise, you know. To 
leave it open. Did you remember to lock the door downstairs? I did. So I caught this on TMC, uh, Time uh, Turner Movie Classics, because um, you know it was one of the things they had up in their Halloween lineup, and it's been sitting on my DVR for a while. And I finally said, "It's time! It's time! It's time to watch this!" And it really was. Now the thing that was very funny when the guy who introduced it—I forget—it's the guy whose whose father or grandfather wrote. Citizen Kane, Jim Mankiewicz, or something like that. Whatever. He's like, uh, what's the matter with Helen was one of the last of what Hollywood called the old bitty horror movies. And I laughed my head off because I said, that is exactly right. And what he means by that, this is one of the last in that whole series of films that came out after whatever happened to Baby Jane that featured two older actresses, you know, in declining careers coming back for one last uh, grasp in the horror movie genre. And this is absolutely true in this case. Now, in this story, Debbie Reynolds and um, Shelley Winters, their boys, their, their grown children, have committed this horrible murder. First of all, it's set in the 30s. And they've butchered some local girl in some horrible way, and they've been convicted, and they're going to prison for life. This is how the movie opens. Now, of course, this does not cast society's eye well on these two mothers left behind. They are blamed for everything, and they are the subject of scorn and, you know, outrage and whatever. So much so that, you know, when they're leaving the courthouse, when they get back to the car to take them away, Shelly Winters looks down at her hand, she's like, somebody cut my hand. I didn't even realize. Look at all the blood. Because Shelly Winters is a little weird. You know why? Because she's Helen. And there's something the matter with Helen. I'm not spoiling anything because that was in the title. Yeah, somebody in the crowd cut her hand with a knife and she's all, oh no. And Debbie Reynolds now is like, well, I'm going to just flee the country. I'm not going to flee the city, not the country. I'm going to flee town and I'm going to go all the way to Hollywood because she owns a dance studio, see? And she's like, well, I'm going to open up my dance studio in Hollywood because there's all these little girls now that just want to be the next Shirley Temple and I'm going to, you know, prey on that, basically. And it's about them, and they get a phone call. Shelley Winters gets a threatening phone call from the guy, who, from a man who's claiming to be the guy that cut her hand at the courthouse. And he's like, yeah, I just wanted to see you bleed. I wanted to see if you could bleed. Blah. But don't worry, there's going to be a lot more blood. I'm going to make the both of you bleed. Blah. And so Debbie Reynolds is like, hey, Helen, why don't you come to me when in Los Angeles? And Helen's like, ooh, I don't know, because I'm all slightly overweight, and I'm kind of repressed and religious, and I talk in this little wavery voice. All right. So they off they go to start their new lives, which apparently they do with no problem whatsoever, because next thing you know, you're at 
Adele's brand new dance studio. Adele is Debbie Reynolds. And everything's going great and whatever. And this movie does not have a lot going on in it. You know, as far as the thrills go, they're kind of few and far between. But what you're getting to watch, much like whatever happened to Baby Jane, you're watching two incredibly campy performances from two incredibly talented actresses. And there's something really, the movie's just so weird. It's so weird. Well, because, you know, they get out there and they think they're safe. And, you know, you're getting to see, I swear to God, if you hear, if they played the song Goody Goody one more time, I was going to shoot myself in the face. Because apparently that's the only number that you can choreograph to. Because every class, they're all they're all tapping their way to goody goody. Da 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 goody goody. Da 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 goody goody. And Shelly Winters is there playing it on her piano. I mean, they even play in the opening credits. And after a while, I'm like, please, Jesus, please stop playing the song, please, please. But they don't. They don't. What I found really funny is that you know, even though it's the 20s. And, you know, the movie was made, like, what, 40 years ago? There's a scene where they just kind of scan the dance moms that are sitting in the back of the class watching for their, their little stars. And it was just like Dance Moms Today, that show on Lifetime. It was just the same. They're all like, why isn't my little girl getting a solo? Blah, 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 blah. My, my little girl is meeting with um, Metro Goldman Maya. Blah, 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 blah. And it's just awful. It's just awful and kind of funny. I mean, this is funny. It's Like, like I said, the camp value was very high because... Okay, like I said, Shelly Winters is really, really repressed, and she listens to the religious radio at night, and there's this one lady she listens to all the time who's all like fire and brimstone and Jesus will save you and sin, sin, sin. Meanwhile, Adele is like a total showbiz whore. She is so self-centered. Everything's about her and about her looks and about how gorgeous she is and me, 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 me. And I kind of got the impression that this is kind of how Debbie Reynolds is in real life. Because that's why Carrie Fisher grew up so fucked up, which is probably true, because in this story, this is exactly why her son grew up all fucked up. He didn't get any attention from her. He hates her. When he killed that woman, he was actually killing her. I'm not spoiling anything, because there's really nothing to spoil here, but <laughs> but as the movie's going on, you're fine. You're slowly finding out that something is, in fact, the matter with Helen. And we're not really sure what it is, but basically, for a long time, anytime anybody comes up behind her and says, Helen, she goes, ah! Anytime anybody says her name, Helen. Ah! Okay, apparently she's very, very, very sensitive. She's a sensitive lady, Helen is. But the more Adele keeps running around, she's running around with some Texas millionaire, you know, oil millionaire who always wears brown tuxedos and is very sexy with his sexy 70s mustache, 70s, 1930s mustache. And he's played by Dennis Weaver, who actually is really quite hot in this movie. He's kind of that sleazy 70s hot. Well, sleazy 70s, 30s hot and whatever. But she's running around with him and she's throwing herself at him and now they're in a relationship and he's like a billionaire and he's pouring all his money into the studio and into her. Meanwhile, Helen's getting left behind and uh, she's starting to go off the deep end. Now, in the middle of this, we have this huge, huge dance recital. It went on forever and it kind of reminded me of the fashion show that's plopped in the middle of All About Eve. No, not All About Eve. The women. Sorry, take away my gay card. Because all of a sudden, it's just tap dancing and kids singing and like whole numbers, not just little clips, like the whole number. But here's where some horror movie uh, uh, trivia comes in. Because, okay, first of all, the whole show is creepy. Because 
You got these little girls performing numbers that are completely inappropriate for them. Completely inappropriate. And for a dance studio, all of a sudden, it was all about singing. I don't know what was going on. But this little girl comes out, and she does a Mae West number dressed as Mae West, and she's doing all the pouty and the sexy, and she's like seven years old, and it's really fucking creepy. But you know what's cool about this horror movie fans? That little girl is Robbie... I almost said Robbie Benson. Robbie Benson isn't a girl. So it wasn't Robbie Benson. Robbie Morgan. And for those of you who are ultra, ultra Friday the 13th nerds, you will know that Robbie Morgan, several years later, was going to get her throat ripped out by Mrs. Voorhees. In the original Friday the 13th. That's right. She was Little Hitchhiker Annie. But before she was Little Hitchhiker Annie, she was Big Slut Mae West. And what's the matter with Helen? And it really is a disturbing number. It's really disturbing to watch. She's like, this is so wrong. Come out to my place and I'll see you. I'm like, you're seven. What's your place? A treehouse? I don't know. But there's another girl who's an MC in this. And this girl, her name is Pam Ferdin. And Pam Ferdin, if you were alive in the 70s, you know her because she was in everything. She was on every sitcom. She was in all these TV movies. She was the voice of Fern in the 1972 version of Charlotte's Web. You know the girl who owns Wilbur the pig. Wilbur. And curiously enough, Debbie Reynolds was the voice of Charlotte. So I don't know how, I don't know. Maybe they lesbianed each other into, that's terrible to say because the girl, again, is like seven years old. But Fern, Pam Ferdin rather, for horror movie fans, she was a little girl who was in the original Toolbox Murder. So you went from Charlotte's Web to the Toolbox Murders. Way to go, Pam Ferdin. I like you. I like you a lot. Now, in the top of all this, like, there's this huge tap number, this huge Yankee duty motherfucking dandy tap number in which Debbie Reynolds makes herself the star. And it's really creepy to see this 50-year-old woman, like, taking the spotlight from these six, seven-year-old girls, like, pushing them aside, like, ha, it's my time to shine. Maybe I'll get an agent. And it just made it all about her. And it was awful. Meanwhile, Helen, somebody came up and said Helen to Helen backstage. And she freaked out, started screaming, and ruined the whole thing. So now they have this big divide. And it's this whole thing. Now, now somebody shows up. The calls start coming again. The threatening phone calls. Some guy shows up acting all weird. Helen kills him. Puts him down the stairs. And now they have to hide the body and have to pretend it didn't happen. Now let's get into the horror stuff. And I'm not going to spoil all that stuff. Because it is very silly and very fun. I got a kick out of this movie. Now, it's not scary. It's not even particularly dramatic. It's just very campy. It's no whatever happened to Baby Jane, but it's still got its merits. And I have a personal fun thing that I enjoy about it because it's one of these movies. I love these movies that have these question titles, like these statement titles with somebody's name in it, like, what's the matter with Helen? Because I immediately have to change it to, what's the matter with Bradford? Because what is the matter with Bradford? I don't know. Nobody knows. That would be a really long movie. There's that other movie like, how awful about Alan? Again, how awful about Bradford? It just works. It works on so many levels. So, yeah, so Helen goes off the deep end. The body count shows up, but not when you just think this movie can't get any gayer. Shelley Winters goes to see that woman on the radio, that Bible-thumping woman on the radio. And who does that turn out to be? It's Agnes motherfucking Moorhead. 
Endora from Bewitched. And it's so funny because she's trying to confess to this woman. She's like, oh, I did something horrible. I killed someone and God will never forgive me. I ruined my child and God will never forgive me. And Agnes Moorhead's like, God does forgive you, my child. Please move along. Please put your deposit in the box and move along. And she's like, no, God can never forgive me. She's like, I just told you, God forgives you. She's like, no, he can't ever. He's like, listen, bitch. I just told you that God forgives you. And if you're not going to listen to me, get the fuck out of my church. Put $20 in the box and get the fuck out of my church. Which, of course, sends her into a dour smile. The body count starts to make, uh, starts to rack up. And, oh, man, Helen's fucking crazy. That's what's the matter with Helen. What's the matter with Helen? I got a kick out of it. Check it out. I'm going to have another pill right now because that was, I'm having fun right now. Woo. Now, the next movie I want to talk to you about in my prescription drug haze is a movie called The Carter. And this is one of those IFC midnight movies. And it's weird. It's really weird. But I'm going to play the trailer first, and maybe that will help show you how weird this discussion is going to be. So we're really doing this. Like we're kids again? Could fix us up. Okay, so the corridor is the story of these five lifelong friends, these five guys, and they've been they live in some teeny tiny little town, and they have been the best of friends all their lives. Now they've split up because of adulthood, but also because several years before one of them went off the deep end. Um when what what spurned that his mother was schizophrenic, she had an attack, she went off the deep end, she tried to kill him, she killed her. 
she attacked him, she cut him with a knife, and that sent him on a schizophrenic break because I guess it runs in the family. He wound up attacking a couple of his friends and stabbing them, not killing them, but scarring them forever. He went to the loony bin, and now uh, he's out now, and they've all come to this cabin that his mom used to own to uh, support him, A, because he's out of the loony bin, and because he's there to scatter his mom's ashes. And, you know, they love the mom, too. The mom was, you know, all of their moms. You know, so they, you know, she was the one who was out putting Band-Aids on their knees, and she was always having them all over all the time. So this is a blow for all of them. So anyway, they go to this wintry cabin in the middle of nowhere. And you'll have to forgive me if this gets a little hard to describe. Now, they're, they're having some stress just because, you know, they're adults now. And, you know, some people are successful, some people aren't. And some people have changed and some people haven't. And, you know, they've grown apart and some have, you know, that kind of thing. They're trying to rekindle things that may or may not be there anymore. Now, during all this, I forget his name. Let's just call him Mark because I don't remember. He's the one who went crazy and is burying his mom. He goes out into the woods alone to scatter the ashes. And while he's out there, he encounters something, a sort of a force. Um, he doesn't even know what it is. Like he's walking around, and everything is just blue. Everything turns blue around him, and it seems like there's some sort of a wall around him. He can he can walk through it, but it's like some gelatinous wall. And he's afraid. He's having a schizophrenic break, so he's gone. He's taking his pills. He tells one of his friends what happened, and he's like, "Listen, I, I'm really freaking out. And 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 you know, would you come with me to go back out there? Because I need to see." that it's not there, and I need somebody else to tell me that it's not there. So they all wind up going out into the woods to see what the hell he's talking about, to show him that everything's okay, and it turns out everything's not okay. This is this weird, I don't know, invisible structure, somewhat invisible, occasionally invisible, that encases them. And I'm sorry, this is hard to describe. Let's just call it the corridor. It's more like a box. And it's clearly some weird you know, supernatural phenomenon. And they they don't know what to do with it. They don't know what to call it. They're all kind of freaking out about it. But then they're saying, you know what? I feel really good in here. Like, nothing's bothering me right now. I feel fantastic. And they're like, oh my gosh, we have to re- you know, report this. We're going to make billions. We're going to be famous because we discovered this and we did it together. And this is what's going to bring us back. But it turns out this box or the corridor, it's not good. It might feel good at first, but... It's slowly driving them crazy once they go into it. it's. I just saw the movie um, Chronicle before this, and the parallel between them is pretty similar. Those boys in Chronicle came across something that they couldn't explain, and it gave them superpowers. This kind of does the same thing. The other one tore them up, and these guys just go up the deep end. And the thing is that makes it hard to follow and hard to talk about is that much like uh, Mark who is schizophrenic, whatever this box the corridor is doing to them is making them schizophrenic. So the loops, the, the leaps in logic don't make sense on paper because they're they're making schizophrenic jumps in. Am I making sense? I don't know. But it's making them crazy, so all the decisions they're making are crazy, and the things, the plot becomes crazy because they're crazy. And it all ends really badly, very bloody, very tragic. And I like this movie. This is not for everybody. Um, Because like I said, it goes down this path where logic doesn't play a part anymore. And you kind of have to sit back and say, 
when this movie is over, I'm really not going to know what happened. There's not going to be an easy explanation if there's any explanation at all, and there's not. Um, but a lot I liked about it. A lot of people are comparing it to that movie Dreamcatcher, Stephen Kim's Dreamcatcher, and I don't see why, just because the only thing it has in common is a bunch of guys in a snow-covered cabin. There's no poop monsters in this, thank the Lord. But um, there's something just about the relationship between the guys that I liked too. The fact that they're lifelong friends and they've gone through all this stuff and they're back together but they're having problems and this weird thing is bringing them together and tearing them apart at the same time was sad. Like you just really want these guys to get together again. It's kind of like the big chill with a horror element. Let's put it that way. I liked everybody, even the ones who are assholes. You know, I, I understood why they were assholes. The only thing drawback that I had in this movie is that this one guy, you know, earlier on in the movie, he's got a full head of hair, but now when they come back X number of years later, he's bald, but it's the worst bald cap I've ever seen, and it's distracting. I don't know why they just didn't shave his head, but they didn't. And you laugh at it, because it looks ridiculous. Aside from that, I really enjoyed this movie. It works on a couple of levels. It's it's very psychological, and it, if you can put... Your nerve, if you put the need to figure it out aside and just let it happen, I think you'll enjoy it. And if not, please call me and let's talk about it. Okay, so that's the corridor. Be careful where it leads. I got nothing. The Memorial Trilogy. The zombie epic by Dead Letter nominated author Robert R. Best. Lakewood Memorial tells the story of a single mom fighting the hordes of the dead to reach her two children. Ashton Memorial follows up with the trio finding themselves caught in the chaos of Ashton Memorial Zoo. And World Memorial tells you how it all ends. Own the trilogy that BuyZombie.com said can be placed amongst the classics of the zombie genre. Each of the three volumes are available in paperback and on Kindle. Or buy the complete Memorial Trilogy on Kindle for only $4.99. Go to www.robertrbest.com for more information. The Memorial Trilogy by Robert R. Best. Read it before. It's too late. Gosh, this turned out to be such a literary episode considering the number of drugs that I'm on that the words in the pages are going like... So if you didn't figure it out by now, all three of the literary promos that I've played so far this show are from former, from rather former, former fellow screamers. Of course, the first one, Those Lowly Bones, is written by R.K. Combrink, otherwise known as Kelly Combrink, otherwise known as the author of Mrs. Lumley's Masks, which is the uh, short story that I read allowed for him on the show some episodes back and I'm halfway through those lily bones right now and so far it's excellent Kelly knows how to really creep you out in a short amount of time that didn't come out right I don't think it came out right but they're scary stories so far I'm impressed uh the second one of Cerebim and Cherifim or whatever the hell it was. I'm sorry, I'm not good with Latin, especially like fantasy Latin stuff. But anyway, a family opera story, that is from our very own Badger Angel. So check that out. I haven't checked it out yet. I haven't even been offered to check it out yet. So, Badger, get on that before I take your non-TR away. And of course, the final one is from the ubiquitous Robert R. Best. You just can't get enough of him. Yes, the final book of his trilogy is going to be available soon. I did read an advanced copy of it, and for the most part, I enjoyed it. Um, There's some little things that need to be worked out, which hopefully will get worked out before press. 
And um, it's a fitting, epic ending to the Memorial Trilogy. Um, yeah, <laughs> I had to keep texting him. I'm like, you know, Robert, you keep using prostate instead of prostrate. And I don't think that's what you mean. Like the priest lay prostate in front of the altar. I'm like, mm, no, I don't really think that's what you mean because that's a whole other visual. Anyway, kids, that's enough of book time. It is time to turn the show over to the one, the only, the, thank the Lord, the one, the only, Toppy Smelly from the Smellcast. Now, I have not listened to what Toppy has done for us. I have not listened to it yet because I just have been too delirious and stressed out and everything. So hopefully, Toppy does not do anything to scandalize us. Or if he does, he really, really scandalizes us to the, fact, to the point that we can't recover because that would be awesome. I would say something like the Scream Queen's Horror Podcast does not endorse anything said by Toppy Smelly or his smelliness or anything like that. But you know what? Fuck that. Let's throw caution to the wind. Sit back. uh, Unbuckle your bodice and enjoy the world of Barnabas Collins and Dark Shadows as told to you by Toppy Smelly. See you at the voicemails. Ah, well, thank you, Patrick, for the introduction. I, uh... Oh, Patrick? Pa- oh, shh, that didn't sound. Patrick, well, oh, jeez, it's... Sorry, folks. <laughs> Patrick's been having some problems. Oh, dear. Well, uh, I'm sure you all join me in wishing Patrick a speedy recovery, and we all hope that uh, he's back to full capacity soon. Uh, I'll tell you, when, when I first heard that Patrick had broken some ribs, and I, I honestly thought that what had happened was he went to one of them there haunted houses he goes to, and, and he got mauled by an overzealous ghost. I really, I really did, th- I thought maybe that's what had happened. Uh, but uh, truth may be a stranger than fiction. At any rate, Patrick, uh, get well soon. Uh, we're all behind you here. Uh, I started listening to Patrick's Scream Queens probably about episode 9 is, I think, when I found it on the interwebs. I've been listening ever since. I think he does a great job every week uh, with so much energy and chutzpah and uh, and great information and great entertainment. So when I heard that Patrick was uh, asking for a little bit of help, someone to come stand in and and do a little bit of a show for him, I thought, I could do that. I could do that. I've got a little podcast. It's called The Smellcast. It's over there at uh, thesmellcast.com. And uh, I thought, I love the spooky movies. I love Patrick. I can do that. In fact, I'd be happy to do it. So here I am. And I am going to talk to you today about a little shoe called Dark Shadows. My name is Victoria Winters. My journey is beginning. A journey that I hope will open the doors of life to me and link my past with my future. A journey that will bring me to a strange and dark place. To the edge of the sea, high atop Widow's Hill. A house called Collinwood. A world I've never known, with people I've never met. People who tonight are still only shadows in my mind but who will soon fill the days and nights of my tomorrows. And that was the character of Victoria Winters, 
narrating the opening moments of the very first episode of Dark Shadows on ABC television in 1966. Black and white video, folks. Now, the whole idea was created by a fella named Dan Curtis. And what he wanted to do, and what he pitched to ABC and what they bought, was the idea of a daily soap opera that had gothic elements. So, gothic. Gothic, what's that? Well, you've heard of these goth kids. We've had roaming around the countryside for the last 15, 20 years. Goth. They like to wear the black makeup and the black clothes, and they're all doom and gloom. Well, that comes from the word gothic. There's elements in a gothic story, and they go as follows. You need to have a setting, an appropriate setting. It, 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 it's helpful if it's a castle, sometimes abandoned or sometimes occupied. And there has to be secret passages and trapdoors and secret rooms and staircases and possibly ruined sections. Yes, the atmosphere needs to be of mystery suspense. There needs to be uh, a, a pervading, threatening feeling. A fear enhanced by the unknown. Sometimes the plot is built around a mystery, uh, such as, well, possibly unknown parentage, as in the case of Victoria Winters on Dark Shadows. There's sometimes uh, good to have an ancient prophecy, uh, a la Barnabas Collins, uh, connected uh, with the strange setting and its inhabitants, uh, either the former or the present, meaning that there's a history here, a history that they develop, and the Dark Shadows developed a history, so much so that they would go back in time to replay the history. A very unusual thing on daytime TV soaps, I must tell you. Uh, there needs to be omens and visions and portents of uh, terrible things to happen. There may be disturbing dreams or some phenomenon. Dark Shadows was replete with dream sequences that were disturbing. Yes, indeed. They need to be dramatic, amazing events occurring. Like ghosts, uh, inanimate objects uh, coming to life. There, there's uh, some uh, gothic novels. These events are ultimately given a natural explanation. But in others, sometimes the events are, are truly left supernatural, as in Dark Shadows. No. Uh, there needs to be an emotion that's kind of high or overwrought. The narration uh, might be very highly sentimental, and the characters are often overcome with, with anger and sorrow and surprise, and especially terror, as in Dark Shadows. You know. uh, there needs to be women in distress. Yes, that's a good thing. The female characters, they often face events that leave them fainting or terrified or screaming or sobbing. Oh, often the heroine is lonely or pensive. Suffering. Uh, the women need to be threatened by a powerful, impulsive, tyrannical male, a la Barnabas Collins. Yeah. Uh, another good element of the gothic genre is gloom and horror. 
Well, this this can include uh, wind, especially howling wind, and the rain and thunderstorms, dark shadows. <laughs> Had a lot of thunderstorms. There needs to be sighs and moans and eerie sounds, footsteps approaching, clanking chains, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, Think Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca. The elements were mystery, a spooky atmosphere, uh, a young woman, vulnerable, innocent, caught up in some story that overwhelmed her. Eh, truth to tell, ratings... And audience reaction to this TV soap was a little lukewarm. (laughs) And uh, they gave it a go. Back then, a TV would give things a go a lot longer than they do today, don't you know? And so ABC gave this uh, soap opera quite a try. They really did. The producers and everyone struggled with the storyline to make it more intriguing, more interesting, more captivating. Uh, But really, the ratings just weren't coming in. And the show was on the verge of being canceled. That's when uh, the series creator, uh, Dan Curtis, just said, Okay, jeez. Okay, we gotta save this sucker. We gotta do something that's big. And Dan Curtis decided to introduce a really uh, big supernatural element to the series that had not been present before in the character of Barnabas Collins, a reluctant vampire. I don't believe it. I beg your pardon. It is Barnabas. And you're Elizabeth. Cousin Elizabeth. Cousin Elizabeth. Yes, I guess I am. I apologize for coming without letting you know in advance. It's uncanny. What is? With that portrait over there, have you seen it? Yes. It's extraordinary, isn't it? If it weren't for the clothes, well, forgive me for staring, but for the moment it seems as though I'd seen a... Ghost? Well, the likeness is, is remarkable. I can hardly believe it. The Collins blood always had a certain persistent strength. This is no way to greet a relative. Welcome to Collins. Thank you, cousin. Now, one of the really strong points of the show, even from the beginning, was their ability to cast well. They found fantastic character actors to fill the parts, even the small parts. They, they just seemed to fit their characters so well. And in the case of Jonathan Frid, he was the perfect choice. He had a, a background in theater. He did a little Shakespeare. Uh, but more than that, he looked the part. He was gaunt and sort of strange-looking. And they did some wonderful makeup on him. And they did a funky little thing with his bangs on his, his, the top of his forehead. And he just looked kind of creepy. And what's more, the audience kind of thought he was a little sexy, too, apparently. I know I did. But anyways... Jonathan Frid had a a very mannered way of speaking that was absolutely perfect uh, for this stranger coming into Collinwood who happened to resemble the portrait of his ancestor, uh, the first Barnabas Collins. So here's a present-day, or what they thought was a present-day Barnabas, talking about family history, telling the story of Josette Collins. And he impresses everyone with his knowledge of the family history, but of course what they don't know is he lived it because he's a 200-year-old vampire. Such as this, 
a night when a young, beautiful woman was pressed to her limits. She could no longer accept what the future held for her. She knew she had to destroy herself before she became something she did not want to be. She had quarreled with her lover. She tried to send him away, but he would not be put off. He tried to put his arms around her, but she broke away from him and ran out into the stormy night. Her white dress contrasted against the darkness. He ran after her as she headed for the one place on earth that seemed to be designed for the termination of life. The rain drenched her. The winds buffeted her, blowing her long hair wildly. Her clothing was torn by the low branches. Her small white feet were bruised and mud-stained by the stony, cruel pathway to the summit of the cliff. The shouts of her lover were lost in the wind as he moved swiftly after her. Near the top, she stumbled over a large rock. Crying hysterically, she limped and crawled to the edge of the precipice. Her lover reached her, clutched at her, spinning her around to face him. Her eyes were wide with terror as the lover held her tightly, his lips pressed against her throat. Soon she grew limp, and he released her suddenly with a, a last surge of energy. She broke free and hurled herself off the cliff. And there in that story that Barnabas was telling, you can hear all the elements uh, that pertain to the Gothic genre uh, right there in that one little story. And of course, the show was moving steadily into uh, not just gothic, but gothic horror. And that's when things clicked. And the audience grew exponentially. And ABC Television had a bona fide hit on their hands. Now, Barnabas was supposed to be a character that would come in, uh, haunt the place, uh, kill a few ladies, and then have a stake driven through his heart, as all vampire stories should end. But uh, the popularity of the character quite quickly convinced the producer and the creator, Dan Curtis, to keep Barnabas around. So... His character, at first, very kind of disturbing, haunting. He seemed to be a very cruel man. Uh, Slowly, his character became more sympathetic, and he became uh, sort of an anti-hero. And as I said, the show just took off in popularity. It became a huge commercial success, and it left its mark on American pop culture uh, in a big way. Now, I was born in 1962. The show debuted in 1966 so I would have been four years old. I didn't discover the show on TV until uh, after Barnabas had appeared on the scene. I started watching, as I recall, right around the time that Barnabas had kidnapped Maggie Evans. That's when I started watching every day, and it was a perfect time to start watching because that was one of their greatest storylines that they ever had. Barnabas uh, wanted to recreate uh, Josette, his, his beloved from 200 years ago, in the form of a present-day waitress in Collinsport, Maggie Evans. So he had he had kidnapped her, and she was held prison in 
a basement cell for many weeks. It went on and on, and she finally escaped. And there, in all of its glory in black and white video, is a chase scene, folks. Maggie Evans escapes from the jail. Barnabas discovers the cell empty and follows her in this slow motion chase. The slowest chase ever captured on video. But still for me at that age, it was hugely suspenseful and exciting. Of course, if you watch it today, you snicker a little because the constraints of the medium. You see, in those days, all soaps were done this way. They taped it as, as a half-hour play. It was taped live. There was no budget to go back and re-edit things. They had to get it right once, the first time. And it, it would really take a calamity for them to go back and start over. And it happened very, very, very seldom. On the collection that I have today, uh, it begins with, uh, I don't know what you call it, the slate guy. You know, in movies when they have the slate and they're labeling the shot and the little slate clanks, you know. Take one, uh, uh, Barnabas uh, with Josette on, on, on the cliff. Take two. Uh, and on almost all of the episodes that I've seen so far, it says take one which means uh, day in and day out, they did it on the first take. One, one walkthrough, one go, which is pretty impressive. Now, uh, one of the things the show had going for it was an incredible crew of uh, producers, of uh, uh, scenic uh, developers, uh, set dressers, uh, makeup artists, uh, stuntmen. And, of course, this show was uh, taped, uh, produced in New York City, and uh, they had, you know, the, the probably uh, good people that they could find uh, to do all, all of this technical work. And they did it extremely well. First of all, uh, Dan Curtis uh, got in line Robert Cobert uh, to do the music. And the music was wonderful, uh, wonderfully haunting. It, it, he, he developed a, a music that, that uh, was an integral part of the show. Uh, almost every scene had music behind it, and it really set the mood wonderfully. They had incredible set designers and set dressers. Uh, they, they delivered uh, every time they needed a new set. Uh, they came up with something sufficiently spooky and uh, gothic. They had a little gun... Uh, that uh, sprayed out uh, spun sugar, and uh, boy, they put them cobwebs everywhere, folks. No, they had great lighting, and especially when the show transferred to color, the lighting people had more and more to do. In fact, everyone had more and more to do as the show went on, because Dan Curtis kept upping the ante. He wanted to top himself with every story. Every story had to be spookier. Every story had to have more special effects, more strange things. And of course, this tremendously challenged the crew as they'd have to come up with ever creepier, ever bigger uh, sets and makeup effects and special effects. And uh, they went bonkers with it. They just went nuts. And they had good writers. And again, the writers were, were really taxed, I think, really pushed to keep writing crazier and crazier things to each story, to, to have it top the last. It was, must have been a tremendous challenge. And all of this 
increasing spookiness really, I think, did the show in at the end. I think it lasted five years, and uh, they ran out of gas, and the storyline suffered, and uh, audience, you know, the fad was over, uh, the love affair, and uh, I guess the ratings dropped, and, and I get the feeling from, by all accounts, that at the end of this five years, they were all really quite ready uh, to cash it in. It was a tremendously uh, hard show, uh, to produce, and it really taxed, I think, everyone on the crew and the cast. And, and I, I, my impression is when it came to an end, they were all kind of relieved. I was devastated. I remember sitting there, as I always did, uh, watching the show on my parents' black-and-white TV. So I never saw it in color when it was originally on the air. It was always black-and-white to me. Um, and I remember... Uh, Watching them close out a storyline, you you could tell it was a it was a big big story that was coming to an end and had quite the climax. I swear to God, I remember Barnabas or uh, or Quentin Collins grabbing an axe and slinging it into someone's stomach. <laughs> I swear to God that happened. Anyways, I was sitting there uh, watching the credits roll, and uh, a Mister Announcer fella uh, came on and said, and. Uh, uh, everyone uh, lived happily ever after. I forget the words. And I said, huh, what? And then I think uh, there was another mount announcement. Uh, Tomorrow at this time, uh, it's a password or some game show. <coughs> and uh, I didn't think too much about it. Uh, the next day, of course, at four o'clock, I was there ready to see my dark shadows and a password came on, and I kind of panicked. I didn't... This was odd. This had never happened before. And, uh, indeed, uh, Dark Shadows unceremoniously ended. Now, when you're about ten, and you'd spent the last five years religiously watching a show like this every weekday... It was a bit of a stunner. I probably had to be hospitalized for probably a week or so, but I got over it eventually. <laughs> and of course, uh, I always fondly recalled it uh, because it had left its mark on my psyche. So the show, uh, originally targeted towards women, as most soaps were, uh, they, they realized that the show was garnering a, a huge audience of lots of people, uh, lots of kids... Uh, like me, uh, were tuning in to see this crazy, wacky, spooky stuff every day. And just as the writers had had used uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula or, you know, the Universal uh, movies uh, as inspiration for their vampire story, the, the writers called just every conceivable manifestation uh, that had been out there in the movies and books. Uh, they, uh, Dark Shadows did their own Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde story. Uh, they had a headless man walking around. Uh, they did their own version of Frankenstein. Uh, of course, uh, they um, had many ghosts of all different kinds of specters. And, and uh, they, uh, they had zombies. Yes, they, they did. They had their own zombie story. Uh, they had witches and warlocks. So, just to back up uh, and go over casting again, I mentioned that they really had done a tremendous job with the casting. Uh, everybody down to the smallest part, I, I felt, 
was, they were all chosen very carefully. They uh, got Joan Bennett, uh, who had made a name for herself in the movies, uh, to portray the matriarch of the family, uh, Elizabeth Collins. Uh, they'd found a, a, a young girl, uh, apparently she was pretty much right out of acting school, uh, to, to portray the, uh, the main protagonist uh, that uh, the early storylines would revolve so much around. Uh, that would have been uh, Victoria Winters. It is her voice that you hear opening the show for the first 200 episodes or so. And that was uh, Alexandra Moltke. And uh, an interesting point about that, uh, she uh, opened the show with her narration every episode for about 200, and then uh, other characters came in uh, to do the narration, and uh, the reason for that was that the producers finally uh, caught on to something, uh, which is that they would have to pay one day's wages, uh, I guess, to the actress, Victoria Winters, for doing the narration. Even if she didn't appear in the show at all, they'd have to pay her, I guess, a full day's wage uh, just to come in and do uh, that little bit of narration. And someone realized uh, we could really cut costs if we just had one of the actors who are on today's show uh, do the narration. And uh, so that's what they started doing. And that's why the later episodes, you'll have just about everyone took a turn at, at the opening narration. And ever thereafter, it, it would be someone who was there uh, to do the taping that day. Uh, they had a great kid actor, uh, David Hennessy. He portrayed young David Collins, a very disturbed child. <laughs> uh, the first 200 episodes, he's a real creepy kid, and he did a great job. Uh, John Carlin portrayed Willie Loomis, who was the first person that Barnabas placed under his power by biting him. Uh, the producers thought it would be a little weird if Barnabas bit a man on the neck, so they decided uh, that uh, Barnabas would bite Willie's wrist, and uh, that might go over a little better. Now, Willie Loomis ended up being the equivalent of Renfield uh, in Bram Stoker's Dracula, you know, the character that ate the flies. Uh, John Carlin portrayed him as kind of a little crazy. And John Carlin, you would uh, know him, he went on to be the husband of one of the ladies on Cagney and Lacey. Uh, Catherine Lay Scott had a long turn as Maggie Evans. David Selby uh, played Quentin Collins. He was quite handsome. David Selby went on to appear in CBS's uh, Falcon Crest. You may know him from there. Uh, Kate Jackson, one of the original Charlie's Angels. Uh, she had a, a relatively brief stint on Dark Shadows. Uh, they had an excellent witch, the actress that portrayed Angelique, or Angelique, Laura Parker. She was awesome. She was so bizarre. And she had it perfect. Angelique was evil personified. Didn't do the job well enough, Barnabas. I am not dead yet. And while I can still breathe, I will have my revenge. I set a curse on you, Barnabas Collins. You wanted your Josette so much where you shall have her. Not in the way that you would have chosen. 
never rest, Barnabas. And you will never be able to love anyone. For whoever loves you will die. That is my curse. And you will live with it through all eternity. I think that uh, sometimes the writers, the producers forgot that their main audience really became children uh, like myself. A lot of the scenes were pretty intense. I remember uh, one storyline where Thayer David has to kill Grayson Hall and he strangles her uh, and, and she dies with her eyes open and there's a close-up of her face and it was a little disturbing. Uh, there, there were a number of critics of, of Dark Shadows who said, you know, what is this shit that our kids are watching? And, and uh, there was uh, one station in Buffalo, New York, who, who just pulled it off the air. They, they, they deemed it was not appropriate. And uh, I think it was the only station in the United States that pulled it, though. I think they were the only ones. And those poor slobs never got to see the rest of the series. Ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, back to Lara Parker. She uh, was phenomenal as Angelique. Uh, Lara Parker, uh, if you remember the original uh, TV version of The Incredible Hulk with Bill Bixby, all of the flashback scenes that you see with his first wife, who died in that uh, car accident in which he uh, you know, struggles to, to pull her from the fiery car and can't do it, all of those flashback scenes, that's Lara Parker as Bill Bixby's first wife on The Incredible Hulk. Um, also, Lara Parker did another turn as a witch on a single episode of uh, Cold Jack the Night Stalker with Darren McGavin. Uh, Lewis Edmonds chewed up the scenery as the eccentric uh, trifle fay <laughs> Roger Collins. He was in, very memorable in the role of Roger, uh, and uh, he went on uh, as a long-standing uh, character on uh, All My Children. I forget what character he played, but uh, he went for many years uh, on All My Children. Uh, uh, Thayer David uh, portrayed many characters. Um, ben, he played Professor Elliot Stokes. Um, he portrayed um, the ghost of Sandor, uh, Timothy Stokes, Mordecai Grimes, Reverend Strack. As a matter of fact, uh, just about every actor had to do several different roles as the show went on. And that's because uh, they would frequently uh, take the entire cast back in time and uh, they would tell a chapter of the Collins family's story, um, and uh, all of the actors that they had uh, suddenly became different people uh, from the past. In fact, they didn't just go into the past, they also did parallel time stories. Uh, this, the, they would suddenly go into an alternate dimension. And, uh, for instance, Grayson Hall, who portrayed Dr. Hoffman, would suddenly be portraying a different character. Like I said, folks, it was some weird shit.
And so when, when they did these back-in-time stories, the um, costume department must have been terribly stressed to dress everyone in these old-timey gowns, and they had to get old-timey wigs and hairstyles. But it was really meticulously done, I think with great care. And they really captured a feel. Imagine, you know, all the sets uh, on a TV soap, all lit with candles. No electrical lighting uh, back in the 1700s, you know. And you can just imagine that this show had a look like nothing else on TV. No. And before I leave uh, the acting department, I want to give a special shout-out to Grayson Hall. She's no longer with us. But she portrayed, as I said, Julia Hoffman. And she she had some of the best moments on Dark Shadows, folks. She, ha <laughs> ha, oh my God. Oh, at first, uh, Julia and Barnabas were enemies. I am going to kill you, Miss Hoffman. Dr. Hoffman. Dr. Hoffman? Uh, Dr. Hoffman? Yes, yes, I, I, I can help you. Help me? Yes, I, I tell you, you don't have to live this life. You're merely trying to save yourself. Oh, would I, would I let myself be in this position if I didn't believe I had something of value for you and for me? But there is no other way of life for me. There is. It isn't possible. It wasn't possible 130-odd years ago, but it is possible now. <laughs> uh, Julia had a thing for Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas uh, grew to love uh, Julia as a friend, really, and he always had a thing for the other ladies on the show, uh, never really for Julia, but uh, Julia stuck by his side, and, and Barnabas uh, stuck by Julia as friends. They would each get the other out of some sort of dire circumstance. And Julia Hoffman was one of the very few people who always understood and knew that Barnabas was a vampire. So how to explain to you my love of Dark Shadows? Well, there was nothing else like it on TV uh, before or since. I mean, you gotta dig it, people. Here was this supernatural character, this vampire, who in later episodes was the hero, and he would go around solving all of these mysteries and and possessions and uh, uh, enemies that would come to uh, defeat the Collins family, and Barnabas was supernatural himself, so there were lots of uh, bizarro battles between uh, different kinds of entities. It was crazy, folks. A huge part of its charm was the way they would go back in time. For months at a time, these storylines would go on. And they'd have these crazy costumes and wigs, as I said. And they did a a great job. I mean, they went all out. They spared uh, no uh, expense to to get everyone in the proper costumes and and hairstylings. But enough about me uh, raving and waxing poetic about Dark Shadows. Um... You may be like me, and you watched it back in the day when it was airing on ABC television. Maybe you caught it uh, on one of its many syndicated runs over the years. Uh, I think the longest one was on the Sci-Fi Channel 15 years ago or so. 
they went through the uh, re- went through all of the episodes a couple of times. You, maybe that's when you saw it, and maybe you've just heard about it over the years by you know lunatic fan- fanatics of the show like me. And you always wondered what the hell is it about. Maybe you saw a clip on you, uh, YouTube, and you said, "What the fuck is this shit that they're so uh, enamored with? I don't get it." Well, I want to try. Uh, if you're that person, I want to try to persuade you to give it another shot. Um, even Patrick has said uh, an episode or two back that uh, Dark Shadows eluded him all these years. Uh, it's uh, a lot to see, and he he's just never known where to start with it, and it's sort of daunting to be faced with all those episodes, and it almost seems like maybe it's too much work, and I understand that, I really do. My advice is to, with Netflix, begin um, with the story of Barnabas originally arriving in uh, Collinsport. Those episodes, to me, are the episodes... Uh, that are golden. They had it together. There was a quality to it uh, that they slowly uh, let go of because of time constraints and Dan Curtis's insistence on uh, upping the ante every episode. If you can stay with it through the end of the Maggie Evans kidnapping story, I think you're going to get you know a number of hours of, of pretty good entertainment. I, I think it'll grab you. Now, look, if you're someone that really has trouble watching a black-and-white movie, well, I don't know how you're ever going to get involved in this. To appreciate Dark Shadows today, you have to have a certain bit of an an attitude uh, of acceptance, uh, meaning that you have to be able to... Well, you have to be able to appreciate the fact that, uh, for example, it was shot live, and uh, they didn't have time or the budget to go back and uh, redo anything if there was a flub in lines or if uh, an actor forgot a line. They just kept shooting. They just kept shooting. And you have to be able to appreciate the fact that sometimes uh, someone's going to knock over a styrofoam tombstone. Those things happened, and uh, they're all there for you to enjoy And you also have to be able to appreciate uh, the constraints of the medium as far as storytelling. The the story came out slowly. It's hard, I know, uh, for people to sit down and watch something like that when they're used to today's CGI and post-MTV editing. Dark Shadows is worlds apart from all that, folks. But if you have the right attitude, you really can go back and and just appreciate it for what it was. And I, I hope you do that. Trust me, there's nothing us Dark Shadows fanatics love better than to turn someone new onto Dark Shadows and and have them uh, enjoy it uh, for the first time. So, you know, we're all behind that. We're all with you, folks. You can do it. Now, let's say you get through the Maggie Evans storyline and you're you're kind of you know you're kind of into it. Well, then I would uh, ask you to stay involved with it through uh, the whole flashback into the 1800s. That's when Victoria Winters goes back in time and uh, becomes involved in a whole storyline that tells the origin of Barnabas Collins and the whole family, really, and explains how uh, Barnabas became cursed with vampirism. 
And after that, folks, you're on your own. Because uh, once they get into that Frankenstein story, uh, Adam, the uh, creature that uh, was man-made, well, that's about the time when the show really uh, got a a little bit lost. What I mean to say is it just got a little too big for its britches, a little too ambitious, and the, the, the writing started to suffer. Still... Of course, being the fanatic that I am, I can watch those episodes and have a ball. I simply recommend that those of you who are new to it and have not been exposed to much of it, start earlier, uh, by all means, with the introduction of Barnabas to Collinwood. And the last thing I'll say is, for those of you listening who truly appreciate the gothic genre, by all means, start with episode one and uh, enjoy those those uh, 200 or so episodes uh, before Barnabas came on the scenes. It's pure gothic. You're going to love it. Well, folks, I hope in some small way I've enticed you to at least sample Dark Shadows. And, uh, and if you're already familiar with it, I, I hope I brought back some good memories warm, fuzzy memories of that wonderful old show. I was recently gifted with the newest boxed set of Dark Shadows that contains every single surviving episode. There, there were a few that were lost to the ages. Uh, this is the set that comes in the coffin-shaped box. It's wonderfully produced. I highly recommend it if you're uh, interested at all in uh, getting a collection for yourself. Uh, This uh, newest box set that was released to coincide with that Tim Burton movie, which I do not recommend. I'll be honest with you folks, I haven't seen it. I can't bring myself to. But if you're under the impression that Tim Burton's movie uh, called Dark Shadows in any way uh, captures the original TV show, Soap, uh, no, it's, it's, no. That's not Dark Shadows. That's not Dark Shadows. If you want to see uh, something a little more uh, of a tribute to the original feel of Dark Shadows, then by all means, catch the 1990s TV remake uh, that Dan Curtis was heavily involved in. Oh, I should just say a few more words about Dan Curtis. You know, uh, Dark Shadows isn't the only thing he's known for. He did a... He did uh, many more TV movies, um, and he did uh, several more supernatural-related stories. In fact, Patrick just talked about one of them, and that was Burt Offerings, uh, directed by Dan Curtis. And I appreciated that episode, Patrick, because I'd forgotten so much about Burnt Offerings, and I'm definitely going to catch that movie again real soon. In fact, while I was listening to Patrick and his friend discuss Burnt Offerings, I was reminded of how I used to play Burnt Offerings when I was a small child. Um, My parents had an above-ground circular swimming pool, and uh, I would uh, thrash around in the water, uh, jump up and down, uh, slap the water with my hands to create these uh, amazing waves, and I would pretend to be the the little boy in the pool that was haunted. (laughs) I may have been slightly disturbed. Yeah. <laughs>
Anyways, back to uh, Dan Curtis. I think his biggest coup uh, was doing The Winds of War, which was a very long mini-series that depicted World War II. He did a, a memorable a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde TV movie. Uh, he did a, a version of Dracula with Jack Palance as, uh, as Dracula uh, that was quite good. Uh, another way to appreciate Dark Shadows, folks, if you just can't stomach a, a TV soap from that era, is uh, try catching the uh, two MGM movies, House of Dark Shadows and Night of Dark Shadows. Look at those trees. How lovely they look reflected in the sunlight. Barnabas, I love to be with you. You have a way of looking at things. As if they were completely new to you. You've never seen them before. Some people live in boxes all their lives. You know, I feel I'm beginning a whole new life. And you're responsible for that life. I can't tell you how exciting it is to be with you. Barnabas Collins, vampire, takes a bride in a bizarre act of unnatural love. House of Dark Shadows from MGM. Come see how the vampires do it. Rated GP, all ages, parental guidance. Um, the second movie... Uh, was done after the show went off the air. Uh, David Selby stars in it. Uh, Jonathan Frid is in the first movie. That first movie pretty much uh, redoes the whole Barnabas storyline. Again, even that movie, that movie is not the TV soap, really. Two totally different things. But uh, if you like the kind of drive-in movies uh, from that era of the 70s, you're going to like those two movies because they're, it's drive-in material, folks. You're going to like it. It's, it's kooky. It's nuts. Well, look, I've blathered on long enough. Um, I really appreciate uh, you listening. I appreciate Patrick uh, letting me be a part of his little show, uh, which I know we all appreciate so much what Patrick does every week for us. He delivers. He just delivers, folks. Uh, and I know you feel the same way I do about the Scream Queens. We really want Patrick to get better and be back with us real soon. So, Patrick, uh, uh, stop hurting yourself. <laughs> you know, this is Toppy Smelly. I'll smell you later.
you also uh, made mention of something yeah, else. Well, I can't remember right now. You suck. Me. I love you, though. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, yeah, great job of the show. Uh, I want to tell you, uh, just a full warning, don't know what you think about uh, this movie franchise, if you can even call it that, but yeah. what? Uh, I saw Silent Hill Revelations the other night. Okay. Um, it's not a warning of the movie itself so much as uh, be prepared uh, to judge the movie not based on the ending because okay. it's almost as if somebody just switched the directors entirely and added a kung fu battle. It's possible. There's a kung fu fight at the end of this movie, so just watch out if you plan on seeing it. But other than that, I actually thought the second time was great. I thought it was, you know, a really, you know, decent sequel, but it continued the story without trashing it. And there were a lot of Easter eggs for fans of the game series. So, you know, it was kind of a success for me. Anyway. Uh, I guess that's all I have to say right now. No. Uh, yeah, so that concludes another awkward message from New Hampshire DJ. Thank you. Oh, hush. They're only awkward because you expect them to be awkward. If you just embrace the awkwardness, then they become awesome. Okay? That's my whole life. My whole show is awkward. I'm not even wearing pants right now, and I'm on drugs. So that's awkward. Picture that. DJ? Okay, oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you for the well wishes about the hurricane. You know, I'm much... More fortunate than a lot of people. Silent Hill, I've got nothing to say about. I saw part of the first one. I've played some of some of the games, but here's the thing. I'm not a fan of the games because I don't know what's going on. I never played Silent Hill 1. I can't find Silent Hill 2. And the ones I started playing, assume you kind of have a grasp, a, gra- grasp? a grasp of what the storyline is all about. Because I have no idea what the fuck is going on. And I felt the same way about the movie. And I said, I'm bored and I'm confused. And I'm turning this off. So I had no interest in Silent Hill Revelation. And um, I, I, I'm glad you had a good time, except for the kung fu fighting. You know, I've kind of had a theory that, you know, nothing, nothing. No opera, no, um, you know, Renaissance novel, no book, no short story, no soap opera cannot be improved without the addition of kung fu and um, lesbian vampires. But I guess, in this case, you proved me wrong. I keep meaning to check out that web series you told me about, Marble Hornets or whatever it was, and I keep forgetting because I'm on drugs. Anyways, TJ, I love you, and I will talk to you soon. Happy holidays if I don't put another show out before then, okay? Because who knows the way shit's going. I might be dead in a week. Whew. Hello, Patrick. Hello. Hello I'm here. <clears throat> now, on. school these motherfuckers who can't figure out how to get this thing done oh. before you get cut off. Okay. Dude, sweet. Great little show last time. You can, Thank you. Listening to Paranormal Activity for review twice was fantastic. Hearing at the very beginning of the song, hearing the song, the end song at the beginning of the show, awesome. What? I, what? Um, Brad, oh, that was a fuck up. Shut up. twice in the show? Fantastic. Maybe die twice. I hate him. Oh, my God. That man has the fucking control on him. I wish he did. It's great. Ugh. Uh, and it completely sums up everything I feel about all those films. One big queef. Hey. One um, else. The Neutron Dance. Know. I always thought that was about, like, venereal disease. Because they're always burning. Doing the Neutron Dance. Like, you know, you have to do a PT dance and you have to burn the <laughs> When you have VD, oh my god, yeah. horrible. Uh, yes, I'm still alive. Good, Derek is still here, which 
fucking sad. You think this fucking hurricane would have knocked it into the ocean? But nope. Oh well. We're all still here. Maybe next and time. I feel bad for the people who all lost their freaking houses and shit. Yeah. You know, I lost my garage. I mean, oh. not like it floated off; it was flooded. But oh, that's pretty much all don't, I lost. You know, get loaded CDs and freaking oh. pictures and crap like that. Um, a couple of people I know lost a lot more, and that's why I can't really bitch about it. No. Uh, thank you for shouting out to me. Anyway, great show as always, Patrick. Uh, we really need to meet up someday, buddy. Uh, you're really a okay. thing to boot. Can I rub your beard? Uh, the two of us have to meet up. Okay. All right, that's all I have to see. That's how you do it, people. Fucking hell. Freaking figure it out. Stop being so fucking long-winded. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, before I say anything, I just wanted to say, I noticed during your call, and actually on the last show, that I'm beginning this echo effect. When I do these voicemails, and I've been trying to figure out if there's something wrong with the settings on my computer or if it's the Vicodin. Because if it's the settings on the computer, I can't get it to stop. And if it's the Vicodin, I don't want it to. Not much said, Vaughn. I'm very sorry about your garage. I mean, I mean whatever. Any, any kind of loss is terrible like that. And I know how attached you were to your entire collection of the Elder Barge musicology. So I know you're hurting. I know you're hurting. But maybe this will help. Who's childish, she said, and smiled in that special way. Who's childish, she said, you know I love you. I'm sorry, it's not high enough to be able to barge, but you know what? I'm high enough to be able to barge, so you gotta count for something, right? Count your chickens before they lay more eggs, or however that story goes. And as for the Pointer Sisters, the Neutron Dance being about VD, that's really interesting because I, I don't understand why they're so happy about it. I love the idea of it. It makes me laugh. But I'm so happy doing this VD dance. I, okay. Okay. Maybe that's how they do it in New Jersey, but that's not how we do it here. Thank you for calling, Vaughn. I'm glad you're safe. And go fuck yourself. Just cause. Hey, Patrick, it's Latasha from Texas. I uh, love hey. the show, and I can't wait to hear the next episode. Uh, I sent you an email a couple of weeks back, and you said you weren't able to get to it, so I decided to call this time. Um, I just wanted to tell you about a movie I just watched with my yes. boyfriend called The Tortured. Um, I guess it was a straight-to-DVD release. It has Erica Christensen from Swim Fan, the crazy girl, oh, <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah, Jesse yeah. Metcalf. Um, mm-hmm. It's about uh, a couple who... Uh, loses their son and they want to get revenge and it was a really good movie so uh, oh. check it out let me know what you think um just wanted to call and let you know about that and say hi keep up the great work and i'll talk to you soon bye latasha 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 i'm so glad you called in for a couple of reasons first of all your email i i i don't know the, these voicemails are backed up you know, there, some of them are almost a month old, so I'm trying to get to all of them. And so I've, I might have addressed this on the show after you called in, but you wrote that email. And I know I said on the show that I was so upset that I lost it because I had downloaded it from the website on my computer and then the computer blew up. So I lost a lot of voicemails and a whole bunch of emails, including yours. And it broke my heart because it was such a sweet email. And the other reason I'm glad you called back is because now you're officially a first-time caller! Yay! And since I have my computer back and fixed now, I have my official sound effects and I don't have to clink a glass anymore. Because that was crazy. As for the tortured, I just watched the preview for that on uh, pay-per-view last night. And I actually, no, I didn't watch it. I saw it on the list and I read the description of it. And since it was called the tortured, I was afraid it might be torture porn. So I moved on. But now, sweetheart, I am going to take a look at it. And I hope you realize that since you've recommended something, you may or may not be put up against the wall. Sometime in the future. 
when you least expect it, you're elected. Now grab your ankles and pray for rain. Anyway, thank you for calling, Natasha, and oh, keep listening, because I like you. Yay. Hey, Patrick. I've yes. got a message for you. Yes. You got a ferret on your butt. That's right. You got a ferret ah. on your butt. Hey, hey, you got a ferret on your butt. Watch out. You got a ferret on your butt. Rip it off. You got a ferret on your butt. <laughs> Kick it out. You got a ferret on your butt. That's right. You got a ferret on your butt. That's right. You got a ferret on your butt. Ferret on your butt. Get rid of it. Wow. Wow. I haven't gotten a fucked up listener phone call in a really long time. And wow, this was a good one. This is a really good one because in my current state of, you know, slightly elevated blood levels of product and things, I I actually had to resist the urge to check to make sure that there was not a ferret on my butt. Now, for those of you who have been listening for a while, this was actually a reference to, you know what, fuck y'all. You go back and find it. You find out why there was a ferret on my butt. Or don't. I don't care. Maybe there is a ferret on my butt. You'll never know. I'll never tell. I'll never tell. Maybe I like him there. Maybe it's not a ferret. Maybe it's a... Maybe I, I got nothing. Thank you, weird, creepy caller. You made my day. And that was catchy. Hmm. Hey, Patrick. This is Edward, that Facebook guy out in Phoenix. Hi, and, Edward. Um, first, I wanted to pass on my condolences for the loss of your friend. Thank also, you. um, uh, pass on another little serious moment, uh, hoping that you're getting through everything with Sandy and all of the crap that she brought with her. Oh, yeah, we're fine. Um, hope Thank everything's you, going well for you at this moment. Oh, yeah, just fucking um, duck Apparently, um, on to, I guess, business matters. Apparently, uh-huh. I am cursed <laughs> with not being able to say anything about VHS, so I'm going to just give up on that one. Oh, okay. And Sorry. Just going to go with actually two questions I have for you that okay, popped in my I head. I, got, I thought I covered that. I don't even know where we're at with homework. So, uh, me either. one, while I was, this one popped up while I was watching Saturday the 14th, which oh my lowered God. expectations, oh my made God. it a much better movie than I remembered it being. Wow, that's but a not a good time. movie. And that is, do you have any movies that you actually really love that you would never recommend to anyone because you know that even though you love it, it's a horrible movie? Um, Every Christmas, I watch Silent Night, Bloody Night, or Silent Night, Deadly Night, whichever one that has the killer Santa Claus in it. Yeah, and that's Deadly my Christmas Night. movie. I know it's a horrible movie. Yeah, it has everything movie. to offend anything, anyone in it. I mm. love that. But I also know I'm not going to recommend it to anyone because, no. you know, it's got a killer Santa Claus in it. That right there. Um, the other question I have is, do you have any ideas about why possibly TV seems to have a hard time with horror. My concept is that because of the nature of horror, it's just hard to keep the suspense going week after week after week, season after season after season Mm -hmm. with the same storyline. But I'm kind of curious what you think. There have been a couple 
reasonably successful ones, I guess, you know, Walking Dead, but that's more of an uh, apocalyptic story than uh, a horror story in a way. Yes, exactly. And um, there's a couple, you know, American Horror Story, which they just started a whole new story. That's all they yes. did. Yes. So just kind of curious what you think. Um, I liked American Gothic, but it had to end. So, yes. you know, I don't know how they could have continued that on. Nope, it was done. Just curious about your two cents worth. Hope you're doing great. Found out that my ex listens to you guys, so hi, oh, Tony. Oh, my goodness. And uh, um, keep up the good work. Forsooth. Or something. Bye. Oh. Edward, Edward, my precious jewel. I'm sorry. I could have sworn I played your call about VHS, but I might not have. I, I, honestly, I don't know what's been going on since like the beginning of October with the show or in my life between blown up computers and hurricanes and friends passing away and broken ribs and God knows what else. It's just been one shit fest after another this whole goddamn year. Remember when I blamed it on the whole Gemini star sign? I don't know. It's this whole year. Whatever the Chinese year is, I'm going to blame it on that animal. Let's say it's the mongoose. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, uh, let's see what we talk about. Saturday the 14th. Oh my God. That is something I should talk about on the show someday. Maybe I'll have you on to do so. Because that was one of those shows, that was one of those movies, that was one of those HBO movies that they jammed down our throat like seven times a day, every day for like six months at a time in the early days of HBO. And of course, you know, as a kid, you had to watch it every time because it was on cable and it was a novelty. And it is a terrible movie, but I haven't seen it since I was like 11. So I'd be curious to see it now. Lowered expectations being, of course, the uh, requirements for anything starring Richard Benjamin and the girl who used to be in Give Me a Break. But that's not the point right now. Um, yeah, horror TV series. You brought up a good question. Uh, I think you're right, though. Suspense and stuff is, is hard to carry on for long periods of time because eventually you're going to have to unveil what the monster is. And also with horror, if you miss an episode... I don't know if you're ever going to be able to jump back in easily. And also, you're dealing with network TV. Network TV is notoriously scared of everything. And, you know, they don't give things a chance. And so horror takes a while to, to, to simmer. And I guess if they don't get what they want right away. I don't know. I don't think they have the creative minds for anything horror. And I'm thinking the best horror TV shows have been anthologies. You know, Twilight Zone, if you want to call it horror, and Outer Limits, and, uh, oh, what was that one with Thriller, with Boris Karloff, all of them are anthology shows, um, Night Gallery, so, um, yeah, so it was one story a week, or, you know, several stories a week, and then they were done, but, uh, it's a good point, and The Walking Dead, fuck The Walking Dead, you know, everyone said it was going to be great this season, I watched the first episode, and everybody annoyed me so much from what they were doing last season, that I couldn't get back into it this season. And also, I saw that the the, lo- the, mon- the, blah, 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 the lawn had been mowed at that prison. I said, who... And then a meme went out about it two days later because I had the same, same thought. Who the fuck has been blowing, mowing the lawn at the prison during the zombie apocalypse? Huh? It's just everybody annoying me. And now they're annoying me because characters were acting in completely different ways than they had for the past two seasons. And I'm like, because they've realized, oh, we have problems with these characters. Let's fix them. But let's not do it gradually. Let's do it all at once. So fuck y'all. I gave up. I just can't, don't have any time. American Gothic, I love though. But you're right. The story had been told and it was over. And also they were awesome because they gave Amy Steele a job for a week. And we love the Amy Steele. Uh, I don't know what I got to say to you. Um, hi, Tony. It's not Tony from Huntington, is it? I mean, granted, he's married to a woman, but you know that doesn't mean he's not your ex. That's funny, because he's our next caller. Tension. Drama. 
Scandal. Escandalo. Bye, Philip. Hey, Patrick. How you doing? It's Tony from Huntington. Tony. Uh, touching base after the hurricane out here. Oh, God. I uh, yeah. hope all is well with you and Mr. Brad. I We're know Queens uh, got hit. Fucking peachy. On the Rockaways. Uh, Rock, Maybe not too bad out where you are. I think you're in Queens. No. Uh, yeah, we're without power for 11 days uh, here Oof. in Huntington, and uh, it, it was rough, you know. Uh, we did all right, and uh, but I figure, you know, if you can't handle this, how are you going to handle the inevitable zombie apocalypse, which may come as early as yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, December yeah, 21st? Yeah. Everybody's doing all right. I think you still have family out here. I uh, hope they're all okay. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, when you're without power, what do you do? Uh, we had nothing to do, so I decided to go out to see a movie and spend some money on something I ordinarily probably wouldn't. So I went out to see uh, Silent Hill Retribution or Revelation, whatever the hell it's called. Revelation. I figured I'd, you know, hey, take a nice 3D diversion. I thought some of the creature designs okay. in the original movie were interesting, but... Uh, you know, sitting there in the theater, I was kicking myself, like, when the fuck am I going to learn, you know? I just saw my $50 thrown out the window. Totally uninteresting movie. Uh, the 3D was I'm unimpressive. Uh, interestingly enough, Malcolm I'm McDowell sorry. makes a slumming appearance uh, in one scene. Uh, but uh, mm. other than that, I was thinking to myself, I should have gone to see Sinister, because I've heard a lot of good things about Sinister. Uh, beyond that, everything's mm. going okay out here. Hope you guys are well. Uh Hey, something fun. I won a uh, uh, a Blu-ray on the Rue Morgue uh, podcast. My horror cred is growing, Patrick. Hey, yeah, uh, won a copy hey. of uh, Twins of Evil, a Hammer Horror Slut. Classic. So now that I got oh, God. power yes, yes, back, yes. I guess I'm going to watch that. Uh, but hope you guys are well. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. And uh, I just downloaded your, uh, what was it, November 3rd podcast. So I'll listen to that. Maybe talk a little bit about the hurricane. Yeah, oh. So I'll talk to you soon, Patrick. Take care. Tony, Tony, so happy to hear you're okay. Even though, even though apparently you broke poor Philip's heart when you left him, you son of a bitch. Don't lie to me. I know it was you. Nah, it's not you. I know it's not you. It's just funny. I'm just being funny. It's just being funny. And I'm glad you got you got your power back. Eleven days is a long fucking time. Guess you could take up churning butter. And I don't mean masturbating. Well, I kind of mean masturbating. I said masturbating while you were talking, but I said. Some phrased it in a more classy way or something. I don't know what I said. Shut up. Leave me alone. Um, yeah, so Silent Hill Revelation, I already talked about my feelings about that. And Malcolm McDowell, I think, would be in anything at this point. He just seems to be everywhere all of a sudden, so I believe he's just a film whore right now. And you know what? If you can do it, good. And Sinister might have been a better choice, but I know just as many people who hated it as loved it. So it would have been a 50-50. 50-50. 50-50. You know what? I take it back. I think you did break Philip's heart because now you're breaking my heart because now I find out you're slutting yourself to other podcasts, you dirty, dirty podcasting whore. I thought we had something special. You know, we both come from the homeland. And now this. Well, I'm glad you got your twins of evil. I hope they keep you warm at night, you son of a bitch. God, I love you. Thank you for calling in, Tony. Goodbye. Forever. Or until you call in next time, whichever comes first. Patrick. Yes. This is Thomas DJ of Better in the Dark. Hi, Thomas. <gasps> Brooklyn. That's right. I've got on my indignant British man voice. Oh, fancy. It's not exactly British, but still, it's indignant. Okay. I've been catching up on your episodes. I've been a little bit behind. I've been listening to episode number 70. 
Yes. I want to know why you repeat it. The Paranormal Activity 4 review. What? I really did not appreciate having to hear about the farting again. Over what? and over and over again. Did I? Smells. Smells bad in here. Sir. Did I? Do some sort of weird timey-wimey thing with the whole stinky pinky. You stop that right now, sir. Never. That you do. That you do. Hi, Thomas. Did I really do that? See, I remember pulling the episode down about 12 hours after I posted it because I had made some glaring editing errors and I thought I had fixed them all, but I don't remember Paranormal Activity being on there twice. If you go back and download it now for some reason, maybe it'll be fixed because I thought I listened back to that episode. No, I did listen back to that episode and it was fine. I think. Oh, fuck. You know what? I have no idea what's going on with this show anymore. I've been wrapped in tragedy and suffering for months now, and you're just lucky I'm doing anything, goddammit. And if you think it was bad to have to listen to Bradford four times, then you should live with him. I'm not actually on any prescription medications. It's just a lack of oxygen. It's because he brain damage in my head. That was the worst British accent I've ever heard. Poor Justin from the Hysteria Continues podcast is probably throwing up right now, or whatever they do in English, because in England, because I'm sure it's just too uncouth to go vomiting. They probably up swallow or something classy like that. I don't know, and you know what? I don't care because you know what? It's time to wrap this puppy up for another week. God damn it. So if you want to be like all these awesome people who called in and made this show even more incredible than it was going to be anyway, you can give me a call at 347-767-3509. I would give you the email right now, but I'm looking at a new email address because the one I have now has become so overrun with spam, I can't find when people are trying to contact me, which is really annoying. And the spam filter's not working. I don't know what's going on. Mr. Brad is trying to solve it. So... If you want to send me an email, do so on Facebook. Find me on Facebook, like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and continue to be the most awesome person in the entire world. And you know what? There's a new place that you can listen to me because Scream Queens has now become a part of the Stitcher community. Stitcher is an app available for your iPhone and your, your Droid, and you can do, use it on your computer as well. And it's a really great way to stream podcasts, some of the best, pod, best podcasts ever, through your mobile device. And I wish I could be more specific, but I gotta tell you, I'm kinda getting tired and in need of a pill. Um, next time, I'm gonna be having uh, Mr. Trey from Texas on the show. We're gonna be talking about a gay sci fi thriller horror movie called Socket. And that was uh, put together by my friend Sean Abley, who also did the Gay Bed and Breakfast from Terror. And it's going to be a great time. What else are we going to do? Probably going to have some more Hurricane Quickies because I did see a lot of fucking movies. And maybe a couple of other surprises along the way. So until next time, continue to make the world a creepier place. Keep yourself healthy. And remember, as my grandmama used to say, Boy, how on earth did you break your ribs? Tell me. Did the sling break? Again? Cheers. Hey.
Some of the music for tonight's program has been provided by Mavio's Music Service. Check them out at music.mavio.com. Bitches! <laughs>